Um, and last time, we looked at the passage there at the end of chapter 8 where Jesus is giving this charge to his disciples. They've been upon Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter gave him the right answer. Then immediately, Jesus began to explain that uh, the way I have come to be the Messiah is not the way you think. And I did not come to overthrow the Romans. I did not come to defeat the, uh, the armies. I came to overcome sin. And I didn't come to set you free from Rome. I came to set you free from sin. And then... He gave his disciples, of course, Peter immediately began to say, no, no, Lord, that's not the way. I've got it all figured out. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, must have been terrible for Jesus to call you Satan. But he said, get behind me, Satan, because you don't love the things of God. You are still loving the things of men. And uh, And then he began to charge his disciples and all of us by saying that what will a man give in exchange for his soul and he said if you're ashamed of me in this generation then I'll be ashamed of you but if you'll honor me if you'll love me if you'll trust me then he said I will uh, uh, honor you I'll accept you before my father in heaven and then that's where we come to in in Mark's gospel. Now we're in chapter nine, and uh, beginning in chapter one, very very interesting passage. By the way, this is going to be about an event that took place. Uh, we call the transfiguration, and that's a big long word. So, of the boys and girls might wonder what in the world is a transfiguration. Well, we're going to explain that today. So. Hannah, when church is over, I'll ask you if you know what a transfiguration is. And you'll say, sure. I, you probably already know. But anyway, but uh, uh, the, the very first verse, the introductory verse, we're told about this in three of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, uh, I think, chapter se- uh, 9, and, and uh, I mean, Matthew chapter 17, and then in Mark chapter 9, and in Luke chapter 9, we have this same story. And each one tells it pretty similar uh, one or two little uh, uh, additions in, in Luke's gospel. But in Matthew and Mark chapter uh, 9, verse 1, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, that's a very interesting verse. What does that mean? I mean, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he said, I want you to know that there are some of you, many of you, who are standing here right now that uh, will not die until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Amen. Now, what do you think that meant? A lot of people say, well, this was... Uh, in fact, there are some people who've, who've taken this and have tried to project it way ahead to, uh, say, the, 
uh, when Israel became a nation and say, well, what this means is that the people who were alive at the time that Israel became a nation, some of them wouldn't die until they saw the second coming of Jesus. But that can't be what he's talking about here. And he obviously was not talking about the second coming here because all of those people died and Jesus didn't come back. So what was he talking about? Well, uh, it may be that he's talking about what happens next, the transfiguration. I personally believe that he's talking about his own resurrection from the dead because that is when he came with absolute full kingdom power. And so he said, some of you standing here right now will not die until you see the glorious kingdom power of God. And I believe that they saw that. Many of those, of course, saw just in a, a, another year. They saw Jesus crucified and they saw him be raised from the dead. So I personally believe that's what he's talking about here is that you're not going to, some of you not going to die until my death, my burial and resurrection because he's already explained to Simon Peter and to his disciples, the son of man must go to Jerusalem. There he'll be betrayed. There he'll be mocked and ridiculed and there he'll be crucified and then he will rise again. And, of course, they just couldn't understand that, couldn't grasp that, just like we wouldn't have been able to grasp it if we had, hadn't known what had happened. So he said, uh, there are some of you who will not taste death, you won't die until you see the kingdom of God come in its power. Now, William Barclay, a man that I respect and appreciate very much, an English, uh, a, a British uh, Bible teacher, said he believes that this meant that within their lifetime they would see the gospel spread all over the known world. And do you know, it is amazing when you stop and think about it, when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, there were a dozen disciples. And in a little remote area of the world, and within 30 years... The good news of Jesus had spread down into North Africa. It had spread all over Asia and had jumped over into Europe and had spread as far as Rome and even into Spain. And that is amazing to believe that the good news could spread so quickly. And it may be, and that's what William Barclay believes that he's saying here, that some of you will still be alive when the kingdom spreads all over the known world. But I believe that he's talking about his own resurrection here. And then we come to verse 2 and following, and this is the story of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, these are the three disciples that seem to have been kind of the inner circle among Christ's disciples uh, as to why he chose them, why they were his uh, uh, closest companions. I'm not sure. Some people say, well, maybe he just loved them more than the others. No, I don't think that's it. I believe that he didn't trust them. <laughs> You know, 
Peter was always messing up. He was always doing things he shouldn't do. James and John, they were the ones who said one time, Lord, why don't you call down fire from heaven and burn up this village, you know, because they didn't trust in you. And so maybe Jesus said, you know, I better keep these three guys with me all the time. No telling what they're liable to do if they're left on their own. I don't know, but anyway... He said there are several times that he took Peter, James, and John with him further than he took the other disciples. And so after six days, he took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Now, what does transfigured mean? It, the, the, the Greek word for transfigured is metamorphe. What word do we get from that in English? metamorphosis, which means to cha- a change that takes place, an inner change that actually shows itself on the outside, like a, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. We say it goes through a metamorphosis. It changes because of something on the inside, and it actually changes the outer appearance. So Jesus was transfigured before these three disciples. They're up on the mountain. Now, Luke indicates that it was nighttime because it says that the disciples were heavy with sleep. And so uh, I've always pictured it being in the daytime, but it would be even more brilliant if it were at night. And so Luke indicates that it probably was at night. So he takes, Jesus takes him up on the mountain. By the way, it's a very high mountain, Mount Hermon. Now, I know if you go to Israel today, they'll tell you that Mount Tabor is the Mount of Transfiguration, but most conservative Bible scholars don't believe that. They believe it was Mount Hermon. Mount Tabor is actually not even a very high mountain. It's just a, a hill. But, uh, Mount Hermon is a very high mountain, 6,100 and something feet high. So it was probably up on this mountain. Jesus takes the disciples up there, these three disciples, and then he is metamorphosed in front of them. He undergoes a change. Now, here's what the change is like. In the next verse, it says, And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, like no one on earth could bleach them. In other words, there was this, uh, his clothes just began to shine. It's like they suddenly, because inside of him, it was like the light of the glory of God just began to shine out And he became brighter than the sun. In fact, I think the next verse says, and, well, it's in in, uh, Matthew's gospel. It says, brighter than the sun at noonday. So as the disciples were there watching, Jesus standing before them just began to glow. And it began to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And his clothes became white like snow. And and then there was a bright light coming out of Jesus that just was brighter than the sun at noonday. And then there appeared... No, wait, let's see. Is that verse 3? Yeah. 
Yeah, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Peter, James, and John are over here. Luke says that they were kind of uh, asleep. They were heavy with sleep, but then when this bright light comes, it says they were fully awake, and when they looked, here was Jesus shining like the sun, and then there are two other men who appear, and one of them is Elijah, and one of them is Moses. Now, I know the question comes, how do they know who these were? Well, I'm sure that Jesus later told them who they were. And uh, so here's Elijah and Moses, and they're talking to Jesus. What do you think that means? Well, Moses is the representative of what part of the Old Testament? The law. Moses, like the law giver himself, is there, and he's talking with Jesus, and then the one that represents the prophets in all the Old Testament was Elijah. So it's like the law and the prophets are both conversing with Jesus, and they are saying to him, we understand, and we have even said that you as the Messiah would have to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. It's like the law and the prophets are confirming, as if Jesus needed it, he didn't really need it, but they are confirming that what he said to Peter and the disciples was really true, that he was going to suffer and die and rise again from the grave. And so, uh, and Peter, I always thought it's interesting You know, this would have been an amazing opportunity for Peter to have just kept his mouth shut, wouldn't it? And, uh, but Peter couldn't seem to do that. He seemed to have to say something. And so what does he say here? He said, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. (laughs) And like many pearl, I don't know, you don't know many pearl, but if you do, well, it's so, it's just good to be here. But, uh. Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's so good that we're here. Let's make three tents. Let's make three little tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, just running on, just talking and talking, just uh, uh, wanting to do something, I suppose. And then for he, he didn't know what to say. And sometimes when we don't know what to say, what do we do? We just say. <laughs> we just start babbling, and that's what he was doing, for they were terrified. You imagine here, if it is nighttime, and suddenly there's this glow that begins to come, you open your eyes, and you look, and there's Jesus, and he's just kind of glowing like a, a light bulb, getting brighter and brighter and brighter, and then suddenly it's brighter than the sun, and then Moses and Elijah show up, and they're talking to Jesus Yeah, I'd be terrified too. And I'm not sure. I might have said, well, it's good to be here. I don't know what I'd have said. But anyway, and and then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. So all in the Bible, it seems like there's this glory cloud. There was a cloud that overshadowed the the tabernacle in the wilderness and led the people through the wilderness. And there was a cloud that overshadowed the the temple and 
seems like the glory cloud of God was the, 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 this cloud is the way God revealed his glory. And then a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And uh, verse 8, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And what, a, what an amazing experience that these men had. John spoke of it later. In fact, the passage that uh, Stephanie read this morning uh, where it says, And we beheld his glory. We saw. John said, We know. We know that Jesus is who he said he was. We were with him on the mountain, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, because out of that cloud came the voice that said, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And then Peter, over in Second Peter uh, chapter... Second Peter chapter two, I mean chapter one, second Peter chapter one, Peter says, We did not follow this is verse sixteen, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So, Peter and John, this was a life-changing experience for them. And they looked back on it the rest of their life, and they said, we'll never forget that time, that day, that we were with Jesus on that holy mountain. And, and he began to shine and glow and was transfigured before us, and we saw his glory, and we were changed. Now, this is a historical account, but here's an application I want to draw from this today. In our life, our greatest need is to listen to Jesus, Amen. to hear him, to see him and to hear him and to follow him. Just prior to this, Jesus has been talking about, follow me, follow me, follow me. If anyone would come after me, he'd have to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does it take for us to want to do that? What will cause us to do that? And it is getting an exalted view of the glory of Jesus. Maybe the greatest need that I have in my life is to be able to see the magnificence, the greatness, the glory of Christ. 
And if I do see that, my life will not stay the same. When I see him high, marvelous, lifted up, glorious, my life will change. And I will find that following him is actually an easy thing to do. I don't mean easy in the sense that it won't be costly, but it will be a, uh, uh, an automatic response. When I see him in his greatness, I will say, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. This happened to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he said, Then I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the place. (coughs) And immediately, he says, I fell on my knees, and I said, I'm undone. I, I am a sinful man. And then one came and touched me, touched my lips with tongs from off the altar, and then I said, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me? And the voice said, who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. When, I, when he saw the glory of God and he understood that his sins were forgiven, he said, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Here am I, send me. What would it take for me, for you, for all of us to come to the place where we would joyfully, willingly say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I don't think it will come out of just a sense of religious duty. I don't think it would come out of a sense of just what, what benefit would I get out of it. I think it will come when we see Christ magnified, glorified, transfigured in our heart and in our eyes. And when we see him high, lifted up, magnificent, glorious, then our response is like that of Peter and John. They said, we saw his glory. And then we said, wherever you want me to go, I'll follow you. Peter followed him to death. John followed him to the Isle of Patmos where he uh, was most likely died in exile. And they followed him joyfully because they said it was not hard to follow him once we saw his glory and once we heard the voice saying, this is my beloved son. But you and I are not going to have that experience, are we? We're not going to see him transfigured before us like they did. So what is, what is our, our hope? How do we see him? Peter went on to explain in Second Peter chapter 1 that we were looking at a while ago. He talks about how, how, what we saw, but he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully said and we have something more sure something more sure we have the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns 
and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's what he's saying. He said, you know, we had that glorious experience. We were with Jesus on the mountain. We saw him transfigured. We saw the light shining out of him. We heard the voice out of the glory cloud saying, this is my beloved son. He said, that was wonderful. But he said, we have, you have something even more sure than that. Now, you and I are not going to go up on Mount Hermon, and we're not going to see Jesus physically transfigured. But he says, that's okay. You have something that is even more sure than that. And that is you have the prophetic word of God. You have the Bible. Do you know that in the word of God, you have everything you need to see the glory of God as it's revealed in the face of of Jesus Christ. And if you will take the word of God, it will become like a light unto your path, a lamp unto your feet. It will be like a bright light shining to show you the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in seeing him, you will respond by saying, here am I, send me. What do you want me to do? So my challenge to myself and to you today is to get in the Word. Get in the Bible and look for the glory of Jesus on every page of Scripture. And as you see Him, you will love Him. There was a song that was popular back when I was a teenager. It was talking about some girl singing about her boyfriend that she said to know 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 him is to love 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 him well that's probably not really true with any boy as a matter of fact the more you get to know him the less you may love him but i tell you it is true with jesus and the more you get to know him the more you're going to love him And the more you love him, the more you long to follow him and serve him. But how do you get to know him? You say, well, if he would just appear to me, if he would just show up in my bedroom tonight and shine like a bright light, then I would know that it was real. No, you'd probably just pass out dead away or jump up and run, right? No, that's not what you need. You don't need him to be transfigured before you you just need to get into the word of God and read it with faith and see him glorified in the word because we have something better than Peter and James and John had we have the more sure word of prophecy so listen to it read it And I guarantee you, if the devil could just do any one thing to hinder your life, it would be to keep you away from the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus as it's revealed in the written Word of God. He would just... 
he would tell you, it's okay for you to love your Bible. It's okay for you to carry your Bible. It's okay for you to go and buy a new Bible. But just don't read it. Don't study it. Don't don't look into it. Because if you look into it, you're going to see the transfigured Jesus. And you are going to be like Peter and James and John. You're going to fall down and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I'm listening to you. That was the command. Hear him. Hear him. And that would be my admonition to us today. Hear him. He's still speaking. And it's written down for us. Read it. Read it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful story, this picture of the transfiguration as Jesus was brightly illuminated and changed into a bright, shining light. But I thank you that he is still the light of the world. And that we can see that light, not with our physical eyes, not up on Mount Hermon, but we can see it in the written pages of your holy word. And I pray that you will help us to read it, love it, learn it, study it, memorize much of it. But not just for the purpose of reading, but for the purpose of seeing Jesus glorified and glorious. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org If you're not a member of another church, We would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.